welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Amen. You may be seated. You can turn your Bibles this morning to Ezra chapter 1 is where we will be this morning. Um, So go ahead and grab your Bibles. Um, and turn to Ezra chapter 1. Kids, you stay with us this morning. Um, the other 40-something Sundays out of the year, uh, you go back to Children's Church. Um, but for mornings where we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is every second Sunday, you stay with us. And I love when you stay with us anyway. And so we're glad to have you with us um, this morning. Ezra chapter 1 is where we are. After our scripture reading here just a few moments ago, perhaps you were thinking, why Ezra? Isn't there something better, you know, like in, in the New Testament? Uh, we hear about decrees, we hear about lists of basins and bowls, and, and then if you look in the Ezra chapter 2, we see um, this, this whole lineup of all these 50,000 people named by sons and tribes who return to the land of Judah, who return to Jerusalem. And so before we go any farther this morning, as we begin our study of Ezra and Nehemiah over the next uh, several weeks, I want to give you an encouragement And here's how I want to cure I want us to realize that the Old Testament is some 77% or so of our Bible. And my guess is that the vast majority, even passages like this, uh, is material that sometimes is foreign to us, unknown to us. It's ancient, it's different, it's Middle Eastern, it's not Western, it's written um, originally in a different language, and so sometimes you feel kind of lost. Have you ever felt kind of lost going through the Old Testament before? I know recently that I've changed my Bible reading plan um, because there are times I would burn out in the Old Testament. Have you been there, tried to read through the Bible, and like right now, like two weeks in, like you're done, you're not going to make it through Genesis because it's, you're just not following. Have you felt like that before? And you get to points like Ezra, and sometimes maybe we feel like that, we can feel kind of lost, and so we spend more time in the New Testament. It's a little more familiar, it's a little bit more recent, and People talk about it more, so you have some more context. Um, But at the end of the day, the New Testament is the fulfillment of all the promises that we see in the Old Testament. In fact, Paul reminds us, and I want to remind you with this by way of encouragement this morning from Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul reminds us that whatever was written in the past, things like Ezra chapter 1, were written for our instruction. This is for our instruction. So that, not only to instruct us, but also so that we may have, hear this, so that we may have hope. So that we might through endurance and through, we might have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture. And so passages like this, this is what I wanted to be thinking through this morning, passages like this are there to give us hope, are there to challenge us to endurance and to encourage us in the way that we should go. So that's my prayer for us as we walk through Ezra this morning and throughout the coming weeks, that we would have hope, that we would have endurance, and that we would have encouragement. Because somehow historical books like Ezra, speaking of king's proclamations, basins and bowls, and detailed accounts of tribes and families and sons, the Lord has included this so that you would endure this week better, this year better. Have more hope and be more encouraged. So, are you ready to be encouraged? Are you ready to be challenged to endure? Are you ready for some hope? Well, let's make a run at Ezra chapter 1, shall we? 
Ezra chapter 1. Some context. We have to understand the context as we begin a new book like this. And so let's spend some moments this morning going through the context of, of kind of where we are in the biblical narrative as much as we can in a few moments here. If you ever read a book by uh, Vaughn Roberts uh, who talks about um, big themes in the Bible, overarching themes in the Bible, uh, one thing he writes is that the Bible can largely be summed up as a story of God's people in God's place with God's presence among them. And so we see that throughout all scriptures. We see that in the garden, God's people. Those created in his image are in his place, uh, the garden, with God's presence among them. But because of sin, we see this in the garden, um, we can't be in his presence. And, and so God puts angels guarding his presence and so that they must be removed from that presence. But God, in his grace and mercy, covers them, clothes them, and sends them out. And God remains faithful even when the people of God run faithful. Even as he forms his people, he puts a tabernacle among them where God's presence would be. And even as he brings them into the promised land, God puts his temple among them that they might worship him. And by the way, the imagery of the temple harkens back to the garden, by the way, where God has made a way through sacrifice, through bloodshed, for, for w without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. God has made a way through sacrifice for someone to step in their place for someone to die a death that they deserve so that they might go into the presence of God. Do you think that's building up to something? Yes, that's building us up to Christ, laying the, the framework for our Christ who would come. So God's people were given the promised land, and God blesses them despite their unfaithfulness, and he gives them kings. Do you remember this? You maybe remember King David and, and King Solomon. They uh, we're not ultimate kings because we see that they are sinful, but they led Israel through a, a time of great prosperity. And so God blessed them despite themselves, and he gave them kings like David and Solomon. And, and Solomon, if you remember, there, there was nothing like the splendor of Solomon's temple. And so God dwelled with his people in his place, the promised land, Jerusalem, at, in his temple, the Ark of the Covenant and the like. And so God's people were there in the promised land, enjoying God's blessing. But after Solomon, if you know your biblical history, your storyline, if not, we're going to talk about it here, the kingdom began to decay. There were short periods of repentance and some good kings and some turning to the Lord, but, but it was mostly of people turning to other gods. Eventually, the kingdom would divide into two kingdoms. You might remember this. Israel to the north, ten tribes into the north, and Israel and Judah in the south with the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Eventually, God, that they would be overthrown. God told them if they turned to the gods of the land and stopped worshiping the one true God in judgment and discipline, God would cause their enemies to overwhelm them. And that's exactly what happened. This great kingdom ended in catastrophe. The kingdom divided, as we said a second ago, and the north would fall to Assyria in 722, and shortly thereafter, 100 plus years later, eventually the south would fall as well, as they refused to return to the Lord. About 604 BC or thereabout, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon begins his reign of terror, and the first waves of captives are brought out of the promised land, brought out of Jerusalem, out of Judah, into Babylon. Think people like Daniel. In 598 or so, a second wave of captives were brought out as, as Nebuchadnezzar emptied the land of the people in judgment that God was bringing about upon the people. 
In 598 BC, a second wave of captives went into exile. Think Ezekiel. And Nebuchadnezzar finally brings Jerusalem to its knees. 587, 586 BC, this final systematic destruction, Babylon sieged Jerusalem, and it was brutal. They basically choked them out. Thinks things like um, maybe you've ever been to, to, to Natchez and um, how the forces uh, choked out uh, some of the, uh, the people that were, that were there during the Civil War. It was brutal. They were hungry. There was no food in the city. And the final king of Judah, Zedekiah, he fled the city on its final days. He is captured. The army flees, and he's captured in the plains of Jericho, the Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 25. His two sons are killed before his very eyes, and shortly thereafter, they pluck the eyes of Zedekiah out. The last image he sees on the way to Babylon, never to be heard of again, this King Zedekiah, the last thing he sees is the death of his two sons. And Judah was taken into captivity finally and completely. Solomon's temple is destroyed. Wouldn't you agree, maybe you're not encouraged or filled with hope yet, that these are dark days to say the least? That the people of God had enjoyed his presence among them. And God had, be, had been faithful to them, and they continued to rebel. And God in his discipline and God in his judgment did exactly what he said would happen to them if they would not repent and turn. And by the way, that would be for their own good. It's not that God's insecure or, some, or something like this. It's that he loves us, and we're made for him. Worship of him is for our good. That's what you're designed for, and they refused These were dark days for the people of God, to say the least, as they are now exiles in Babylon. And you have to wonder if they ever thought, will we ever be back? Will we ever be back? The glory days are gone. Solomon's temple is gone. Everything that we enjoyed is gone. Can revival come after days of glory. Have you ever been there before? Maybe you think of that as a nation. Can, can, can our nation experience revival after times like the Great Awakening? Maybe you think that about church. Maybe you've been here a long time. By the way, we're 70 years old this month. And maybe you think over the, the last 70 years you've seen some moments of great revival where you really felt the presence of God. And maybe you will, will we feel that again and know that again? Maybe you've felt that personally, that, that you've walked through some dark days to say the least. And you've seen some things that you wish you would have never seen. You've experienced some things that you wish you'd never have experienced, and maybe you're thinking these dark days, will they ever flee? Will we ever see glory among the ruins again? The people are deported, and they're resettled in Babylon. And so the people of God are in Babylon at this point. They've experienced some very dark days, and as you can imagine... There is longing in the waiting. We have a psalm, Psalm 137. You can turn there, just write it down and go look at it later. That recounts these days. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. 
And so you know what they're remembering at this point, don't you? These days of glory. And on the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. So you get this picture of this longing, of this waiting, and they're wondering, will we ever sing again? Will our, let's just hang up our harps. I don't know that we'll ever be back in Zion. And shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Because this land is not our home. Will we ever experience that glory again? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. But then it goes on to say in verse 8 of Psalm 137, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. So there's this longing, there's this waiting, but there is this hope that remains for the people of God. Eventually Babylon will be destroyed. Blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. So as they are there in captivity, there is longing, there, there, is, there is hope. And, and we re, even read about that in Jeremiah chapter 21. Look at Ezra chapter 1. And this is the first year of King of Cyrus, King of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Do you remember this promise in Jeremiah? Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in verse 4. So here's what I want you to see. Start putting together in these dark days that they're experiencing, in this longing and they're waiting, they're, by the, they're sitting in Babylon, will we ever sing again? Yes, there's hope, there's hope, there's hope. Why? Take courage. God has made a promise. And oh, how the promises of God sustain us even in the darkest of days. Have you known that before? Have you felt the promises of God sustain you even in the darkest of days? Jeremiah 21, thus has said the Lord of hosts, here's by the mouth of Jeremiah, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage that may bear sons and multiply there and do not decrease. And, and so what he's saying there is, is take, take root there. I'll provide for you in Babylon. Flourish in Babylon. Don't decrease. Don't be deceived. You'll be here for some time. But, verse 10, he says something else. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill my promise to you. And I will bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil to give you a future and a hope. You'll call upon me and you'll come and you'll pray to me and I will hear you, you'll seek me and find me. You'll seek me with all your heart. Your heart's gonna be stirred and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. Ezra chapter four, this is where we are. 
All of the promises of God are coming true. The 70 years are coming to a completion. The word of the prophet of Jeremiah that sustained them in exile, they are now coming home, finally, after 70 years. Yes, even in exile, there were kings like Belshazzar, you read about in Daniel chapter 5, who shook his hand at Almighty God as though he would be in control forever. There, as the people of God were in Babylon, they had this promise of Jeremiah. There were still kings rising up in those days saying that I will reign and rule forever. But there in Daniel chapter 5, God puts his writing on the wall and tells this king, evil king Belshazzar, who is shaking his hand at Almighty God, your days are numbered. The kingdoms of this world, their days are numbered. And they will be shaken down. There's only one kingdom that will remain forever, and that's the kingdom of God. And that promise came true. Babylon's days were numbered. And so were the peoples of God, people of God. It goes for us today that that God's, God's days are numbered. One day he will return and bring us all the way home. And the kingdoms of this world, their days are numbered. And surely that happened. Medes and Persians took over, and now they have a new king. And Zerubbabel will lead this first wave back. Ezra himself will come some some 50-plus years later. But for now, we see the first wave. The people of God are coming back just as God had promised. He brought them all the way home. They saw dark days. They saw evil days because of their own sin. They found themselves in the place that they were, but God remained faithful and God brought them home. If that's not enough, there's a couple of things that I want us to see this morning. The first thing that I want us to see in this, now that you have some context of of why we're here and how they got here and the glory and the hope that, that must have been building and God is faithful, he's bringing us home, something that I want us to see this morning The Lord is sovereign over nations. Maybe you started to get that a second ago where Daniel chapter 5, the writing's on the wall, your days are numbered, Babylon, and sure enough, that happened. Listen to what it says. The word of the Lord says, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing which you can still see evidence of this in London to this day. This is historical. This is not some sort of fiction story. This is for real. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among all of his people, may his God go with him and let him go up to Jerusalem. Here's what I want us to see. God can stir the hearts of kings of whatever nation he chooses to do. There there is no evidence here. In fact, we can confidently say that, that Cyrus was not a man of God. Everything he's doing here, this new policy that he's, he's putting into place, this return to those ruins, this return to build this, this temple, this was more than likely a very political move that he was doing this for the sake of politics. Uh, But do you notice what's going on here? God is doing it. God is stirring his heart. Yes, Cyrus makes the proclamation, doesn't he? 
but God is the one who stirred his heart. God is sovereign over the nations, and man is responsible. And and so we see this all throughout Scripture, that God is sovereign and, and, and man is responsible. We see this as they talk about the crucifixion of Jesus, that it it was done to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, but there were people guilty of doing that very thing. We see that we're saved by grace alone, and and we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. God is sovereign, and man is responsible. Who made this decree? Yes, Cyrus made the decree, but God stirred his heart. God stirs the nations. This is the same God we serve today. Do you believe he can still serve even the rulers and kings of evil nations and even the rulers and kings of our own nations, the nation, maybe even the one you, you did or did not vote for or one you agree or disagree with? We're about to get that full throttle this year, but the Bible says pray for our leaders. Pray for them. Let's say make Facebook post about that. That's one. Pray for them. Pray for them that God would stir their heart that we might live peaceful lives. The Old Testament makes sweeping summary statements like this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The Lord brings the counsel of nations to nothing, and he frustrates the plan of peoples. In the providence of God, the world does not seek into much, sink into much wickedness and misery as it would if we were given over entirely to the power of the evil one. God is good, he is gracious, and he even stirs the heart of nations like Persia and kings like Cyrus. God promised to restore his people, and he even uses the impossible, the evil king Cyrus, to bring about his good pleasure. God makes these impossible things, things that you thought they would never see glory again, certainly not through Cyrus, but God. And maybe you see no way and know how that you would see the days of glory again, and maybe not through that channel, not through that person. Cyrus even helps fund the rebuilding of the temple. Pray for kings in high places, even non-Christian kings and leaders that may be making decisions that will affect the people of God. The Lord is sovereign over the nations. The second big thing, if we haven't seen enough already, Not only is God sovereign over nations and stirs the heart of kings, but God stirs the heart of his people. God stirs the heart of his people. People with questions like, will we ever see God among the ruins? Will we ever see his presence again? Will we ever experience those days of former glory? God begins to stir our hearts. Maybe you have questions like that sometimes, that, I can think of certain times in my life where, have you had these before, where it's like you just really feel the, and know the presence of God in your life among you. It, it, maybe you described it like where you're really on fire for Christ or something like that. And for some of you, it might have been when you're in college, or that might be the darkest day of your life. For some of us, it was kind of the, one of some of the brighter days of our lives. 
Wherever you might be, maybe it's when you're young, maybe it's in a certain time, a certain place, a certain church, wherever you are, maybe, maybe you think of those, those things, that God, will he ever stir my heart like that again? And, and even in moments like this, there's a whole generation that has never seen the glory of Solomon's temple. They don't even know what it's supposed to look like. They've heard stories, but it's not like they've seen pictures of this thing. But God stirs their hearts. And folks in captivity and folks in exile, God stirs their hearts. Somebody asks you a question as we press on here. Do you ever think that you personally or as a church that we need a fresh awakening to the things of God? A renewed sense of purpose and calling? A new sense of commitment to go and build the temple. And we know that now, let me apply this to the New Testament, that now the church, we are the people of God, is described as, as the temple of God, one stone being built upon the next. As we build the temple, we build the people of God, as we make Christ known and help build his church. Do you ever think the people of God need a fresh awakening to the things of God? A renewed sense of purpose and calling. This is exactly what God is doing among them. Through the proclamation of someone like Silas, there's this, Cyrus, there's this new sense of calling, this new sense of purpose. God is stirring our hearts. Let us go up and build and get to work because we want to see the glory of God among us like we have heard in the past. We want the Lord, Psalm 85, verse 4 through 7, God, will you revive us again? And at this moment, the Lord is stirring their heart. Yes, Lord, you will revive us again. And so they have this renewed sense of purpose as God stirs their hearts, and they return. They act upon it. They go. They go up, the Bible says, and we have in the list in, in Exodus chapter 2 of all those who went up. Sometimes it's hard to follow. And the Lord stirs our hearts, and that's telling us where to serve, where to go, who to make the gospel known to, whatever it might be, how to follow Imagine how hard it was for them. For some 70 years, they were pretty stable and more or less in Babylon. You, you heard it in Jeremiah chapter 21. They built houses and they, 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 they produced not only gardens but families. And they, they were probably doing okay for themselves more or less in, in, in Babylon. And now they were told to go back to steward all those gains that you received in Babylon for the worship of God in, in Jerusalem. And sometimes after long days of stability, we can be lulled to sleep in exile. Now, have you experienced that before? That you've experienced maybe some stability in your life. Maybe it's not those dark days, maybe it's some of these bright days that even in exile God is providing and you have everything you could ever wish or hope for and sometimes we are lulled to sleep in exile so that when God stirs our hearts, we say we will not go. We're doing okay here and we don't want to leave this comfort. You can go for churches as well, can it? We can get comfortable, we can go through the motions and God's providing, you meet budget and do all the things and you have the stability and God says go and we say why. The Lord says leave all that you have built and come and meet me here in Jerusalem that I might dwell among the people. 
Now about a sixth of the people return, 50,000 here listed in Ezra chapter 2. And eventually more would return. When God would stir the hearts, the 50,000 they went, even though it was only one-sixth of them, their hearts were stirred and they went. And some would never return. Some probably for good reasons. Maybe some in rebellion. So returning can be difficult when you've experienced stability. Returning to serving God with all of your life can be difficult. So the question we can ask is, God stirring your heart? Don't wait for everyone to come. You go. You seek. And perhaps the rest will follow, even if they don't. You go and pursue what God has called you to do. And maybe we'll experience what they experienced in Corinth. You remember this in the New Testament? The people of God would come among the church and say, surely God is in your midst. These people are following God and doing what they have, he has called them to do. And so, the people of God called, their hearts are stirred, the nations, God is sovereign over the nation, God stirs up the heart of the people, and they go, some 50,000 of them, they said, yes, we will go up. And our story is changing, because we've been brought from Jerusalem to Babylon, and now we're going from Babylon to Jerusalem. We're going to Zion, and we are going to meet God at the ruins. So let me end with these three things. I said these in the beginning. Be encouraged from texts like this, as Paul says in Romans chapter 15. Be encouraged. The Lord is doing probably a million plus things that you do not see. He's stirring hearts of kings. He's stirring hearts of people. And maybe you don't see it. And maybe you're in a spot this, wonder, this morning wondering if there ever will be light again after the dark days you've experienced. Be encouraged. The Lord is doing a million things we cannot see. Be encouraged. He will bring us all the way home. And be encouraged. He will dwell with us again. And be challenged. This is written so that we might be in challenge to endure, endure, move, go. We march in the victory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he went up himself to Jerusalem to offer his life for us, to build the true temple. He said, in, in three days you will tear down this temple and then I will build it up. I know there's a lot to unpack in that. But he goes up to Jerusalem, he builds the true temple and now he's building us, the church, and one day all of this will be filled with the glory of God. So be challenged. Go, follow wherever he goes, knowing that you march in victory. Be comforted. In verse 6 through 11, I won't read it to you, but we have a whole list of pots and pans and everything else that they bring along. Be comforted. This is written for our comfort. Is, is the God of Israel really concerned about pots and pans? Yes, because he's concerned about small things. Even the number of hairs on your head and where a sparrow falls, he knows. He cares about the small things. He cares about the details. He cares about your details down to the last penny, down to the last hair. No detail will be forgotten. And you will not be forgotten. The Lord is faithful down to the pots and pans for worship and how many they will bring home. And praise the Lord. He knows the details of us. 
And God is faithful to fulfill his promises down to the details of everything that he has promised. So be encouraged, be challenged, be comforted. The same God that brought the people of God back to Jerusalem will bring us all the way home. Let's pray.